slightly concerned for you, for me, and us all, because it would seem in the world of rock music that um, it's all gearing up for a new U2 album coming out around September. They've been away for a number of years, which means I don't have to talk about them incessantly. And also, they're not on my radar incessantly, which means I don't quote them every week in a sermon. Um, You could maybe start counting the number of weeks I do. Maybe we could do a sponsored event for the Building Fund. Um, But there's a new album due, so already people are starting to email, and people are starting to ask questions, and would you do this? And um, to me, the U2 thing, for me, it's over. We're not going to write another book on U2. But when I was writing the book, there was one moment that was really spectacular for me. Um, Some of my friends are very close to the band and do some work with the band. And um, in the middle of the tour where I was writing the first version of Walk On, one of my friends emailed me something from the stage of one of the first gigs of the Elevation Tour. Now, what happens if you're a nerdy rock uh, fan like I am is that if you go to a live gig, there's something that you can take away that's quite brilliant. If you can take away the set list, because all the artists have their set list down in front of them and they have it sort of... Uh, down there with gaffer tape and what songs they're going to do next. And it's really good to pick it up and take it home. If you get it signed, it's even better. And uh, because you can say that was the gig I was at and that was the set list they were using. Da, 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 da. And I have a few of them lying about the house. No U2 ones, I have to add. Too far away from the stage on those occasions. But at times I have been so close to the front that I've just reached over after it and grabbed um, the set list. But this wasn't the set list. This was something else that was gaffer taped to, to the stage on that particular tour. And before one of the songs, Bono had these words on the stage in front of him so as he could read them out. And he read them out, maybe he learned them off eventually, on every um, uh, uh, concert of the Elevation Tour. And these were the words, what can I give back to God for the blessing he's poured out on me? I lift high the cup of salvation a toast to God. I'll pray in the name of God. I'll complete what I promised God I'd do. And I'll do it together with his people. Bono and Eugene Peterson have an interesting relationship. When Bono first showed interest and started advertising the message as a book that he was giving away to people and wanted uh, to read himself, um, in, Eugene, in Regent College, people started saying to Eugene, Eugene, you two are fans. And Eugene rightfully went, who are you two? When he went to live where he lives, um, a little bit out in the middle of nowhere, it seems, he got a phone call because when you two are playing in a city, they meet the leader, the church leader in that city. They're friendly with people like Bill Hybels and Philip Yancey. And so when they were going to Vancouver, they thought, we can meet with Eugene. And Eugene says, no, it's a flight, and a flight's too much bother for me to go down there. But it's changed a little bit. Maybe the sales of the message as a result of Bono's advertising have come out, and now Eugene would speak quite eloquently about you too. This is Eugene Peterson's version of Psalm 116, verses 12 to 14. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. What can I give back to God? Not really the words you hear too many rock musicians say from the scriptures in the middle of a gig. What can I give back to God? When I grew up, the offering was the collection. Here's some money, son, to put in the collection. So for a long time, to me, it was the collection. 
You had to pay to go to the football match, and you had to pay to go to a gig. You had to pay to go to church. This is the time you pay for being there. Churches all around the world do it very differently. As I've said in Fitzroy, one of the things that concerns me is that the Cinderella of the morning service, which I think the offering is, hasn't even got a ticket to the ball yet. Why do we still do it? Should we not just put a plate at the back? In fact, we don't do it in the evenings. It's just a collection. Don't embarrass anybody with a collection. The Cinderella without even the ticket for the ball. Now the reason that it becomes awkward in the morning is that many of us have given by direct debit. So we're not giving anything into the plate. But if you're a visitor among us this morning and you're sitting within five rows that nobody puts in and into the plate, what is it telling us about our giving? Or is it just a collection? Will you be encouraged to give if nobody around you is given? It's awkward in the 21st century to do collection. Discovery Church in Bowmanville, Ontario, I haven't been, but I read this in uh, Calvin College Seminary. I've done some great work in this. Um, Most of them are under 40. So as I said or threatened a few weeks ago, most of them give on their smartphones. You can get a PayPal account, comes to the offering. I would say, okay, this is the number to press in this morning. You press in during the offering and you put your money straight in to whatever. It's happening. In Ontario, there's a Canada hat halfway down the church, but uh, some parts of Ontario aren't any different than some parts of rural County Antrim, but already they're ahead of the game in some of this. Westminster Presbyterian Church, not sure where this is actually, they added a loose offerings to help members practice generosity and local mission. First Sunday offerings go to the, the church food pantry. Loose offerings for the rest of the month go to the hospice, nursing home, emergency need, or congregational need chosen by the mission and stewardship committee. By intentionally encouraging everyone to put a dollar or more into a plate, they are now collecting four to six hundred dollars a month, and the physical act of giving is more evident. So you give by direct debit or your smartphone, but there's some opportunity just to drop a coin in somewhere, and out of that, four to six hundred dollars. I reckon of everybody this morning put a pound into a plate every week. A thousand pound a month for the building fund. A pound. You throw it away nearly. If it drops out of your pocket anymore, do you pick it up? Well, us Palomina people do, but some people don't. Cairo, Egypt. Somebody has said that the most memorable offering they've seen was a village in East Africa where congregants came forward with grain, veggies, fruits, and even live chickens. Try that some morning in Ballyshuknagutri. In many African countries, people literally bring in the tithe of their harvest, whatever that might be. Worshippers in Loyal First Union Methodist Church in Loyal, Michigan, receive connection cards at the door. After the scripture, sermon, and prayers of the people, their pastor introduces ministry announcements by saying something like, Whenever God's word is proclaimed, there are opportunities for God's people to respond. I invite you to fill out a connection card and place it in the offering because your attendance in church today is an offering to God. Cards also have a space for people to volunteer for Bible class, download, and children's church, or other specific ministries, or to take their next step in a faith journey. So that would mean that when... 
the plate comes past, you have a card that you put in, even if your money has been sent through by direct debit. Interesting. I do think we need to look at this. And we need to ask ourselves how we give, what giving is going on, and what is this offering about? It seems to me as I've looked over this and read a few books around this over the last week, that the offering is very much a covenantal thing. The offering is Christ's offering for us. But connected with that offering is always the offering of the people back to God. They're intrinsically linked. Jamie Smith, who I've been basing this series on what happens on a Sunday morning around and uh, from Calvin College, says it's a covenant, not a contract. So it's not as if God kind of says, right, I've done this for you, so you better. That's not part of the deal, actually, when it comes to giving at all. It's this covenant. It's the covenant like a marriage covenant. We're out of love. If you love me, you will obey my commands. But there is something that's happening on both sides. Christ offers his body for us. We offer our lives to him as living sacrifices. Romans chapter 12 that we've read this morning. There are many churches in the Reformed tradition that seem to link the offering and the communion much more than we do here. It was an insight for me and one that we might need to think about. One of the things that seems to come through as you read the scriptures and giving is this that I've just touched on. The generosity of giving. The joyful heart of giving. If uh, I think sometimes, maybe all the time, uh, behind me we put up uh, that verse in 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Let, Let each one give as he has made up his mind and purpose in his heart. Let each one give as he or she has made up his or her mind and purpose in his or her heart. Not reluctantly, or sorrowfully, or under compulsion. For God loves, one book says that can translate as God takes pleasure in, God prizes above other things. God loves a cheerful, joyous, prompt to do it giver, whose heart is in his giving. Reflects Deuteronomy 15 and 10. Give generously to him and do so without a grudging heart. And it seems as we look at the scriptures, we give to God and we give to the needy. The widow's fund was the first committee that was set up in the New Testament. There is something here about giving to God for the work of God and the worship of God and the mission of God. And then something too about justice. In fact, Jamie Smith would say that Pentecost changed economics. Acts chapter 2. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Good spiritual things. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. And then the economics fundamentally changed in the world of their day. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Giving out of this redemption that Christ has brought and this outpouring of the Holy Spirit that has just been experienced. Part of what happened in that was prayer meetings. Part of what happened in that was reading the scriptures. Part of what happened in that was evangelism mission. And part of what happened in that was that people decided their money wasn't theirs. And if they needed to sell things or do things, they did it for the good of God and others. Acts chapter 4, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed they had any possessions, was their own, but they shared everything they had. And of course, in chapter 5, we find 
Ananias and Sapphira. All around giving. What I discovered in this this week is that in the New Testament, the offering is mentioned far more times in the sermon. There is not one place in the New Testament that talks about worship that the offering is not an intrinsic part of. It ain't a collection. It ain't a Cinderella. It has a ticket to the ball. What about us in Fitzroy? I can see frowns and worries. This is the subject that the preacher never preaches on. I know why. In Fitzroy, the week before I came, in my last session meeting at the other church, they were talking about you guys. The most generous Presbyterian church in Ireland, right here in front of me, giving more per head of population than most other churches. You're at least in the top three. That was encouraging. But what wasn't encouraging was our last look at the finances. Because for the first time in years, we are significantly down in our giving. In the same quarter that we just put a million pounds on the board. It's time to think. It's time to consider. It's time to ask what's going on at this time of the service when we talk about offering. Let each one give as he has made up his own mind and purposed in his heart. That's what the minister's asking. Nothing more. That each one of us, including the minister, each one of us thinks strategic purposes in our heart. What would God want us to do? As we tithe to Africa, as we think about our own finances, it seems that the economics of Acts weren't about tithing. They were far more than that. However, let me put it in the context that it should be in. This is far bigger than money. Although money is pretty big when it comes down to it. Romans chapter 12. Offering our bodies as living sacrifices. That's our worship. Psalm 116. What will I render unto God? What will I give to God? They connect the salvation that Christ brought. The offering of Jesus as a lamb. With the offering of ourselves to God. In this covenant not contract. And they're linked so clearly. What we find in Psalm 116 is this idea that we want to know what we'll give up to God because of the salvation he's given to us. It's about fulfilling our vows as part of the covenant within the people of God. And Romans chapter 12, because of those 11 chapters all about the salvation of God, in view of God's mercy and his offering, we offer our lives as living sacrifices and then we move into those verses that tell us that we belong to each other. We belong to each other. You are his and hers. I am yours. And that we will give what we've been given. The gifts that we're given. So this morning you might be saying, 
Brian, I'd love to teach out there, but where would I find, what will I give unto God? Last week in the Fringe event here, I mentioned it in the sermon last week, but by that stage we were probably about halfway through Monday morning and decided we needed to close quickly. I talked about the Tear Fun Fringe event. When I sat down, Tim McGowan said to me, did you just make that up on the spot? And I said, what? And he said, did you just make that up on the spot? And I went, really? I didn't. I was up there and this thing came to me. Is the size of our impact across the world for God related to how big a challenge we hear, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me? As I spoke it, it frightened me to the core because it was me that God was speaking to. Is my impact and my life related to the size of what that question is for my week? What is our crosses like? What do they look like? Are they rugged? Are they nail through them? Are they rough? Are they raw? Are they heavy? Do they dig into your shoulder as we try to carry them towards the top of the hill? Or actually, do they look a wee bit more like our iPod where we've compacted them down, we can slip them into our pocket, nobody can see them, very inconspicuous, and if we had to carry them, we would put something between the wood and us so we wouldn't want to damage your arm now because we might need that arm in the service of the Lord. How big, how big do we see that challenge? Because the size of that challenge, it seems to me, and our response to it is what will change the streets of Belfast. What will bring justice to the world? What will bring what I go on about endlessly, God's will on earth as it is in heaven? Every time Savior's mentioned in the scriptures, Lord's mentioned 27 times, I'm told. What are we living for? What are we offering? The offering in a church service is not the collection. This is a weekly commitment to God and his community. It's a vital part of the service. It's a part of the service that should challenge and take hold of our social imaginings. Life in all its fullness is ignited or snuffed out, depending on how I respond to Bono's question at the start of the service. What will I give up to God? Often this meaningless, sometimes ignored, sometimes taken out of the order. Maybe on a weekly basis, the most important thing that happens. We're going to do our offering. And as we come to take our offering, can I say to those taking up the offering that if you come to the front and just stand, the band are going to play a song that I use quite a lot in the response to the offering. It's a Bob Dylan song called What Can I Do For You? It takes us to the offering Christ made for us and then asks us about the offering we're giving back in this covenant, not contract. And as we play this song, I want us to think even more than what we're putting into the plate. What is it this Sunday morning, at this time in your life, Fitzroy's history, in the presence of the community of God, what will we render up to him? Let's use this song as a chance to meditate, pray and respond and as we do so the offering will be received
bodies we will live, in these bodies we will die. Where you invest your love, you invest your life. In these bodies we will live, in these bodies we will die. Where you invest your love, you invest your life. Awake my soul, awake my soul, awake my soul, you were made to meet your maker. God, you have given everything for us. What can we do for you? With these gifts of offering in plates, 
we give the gifts you've given us to serve. Take our lives and let them be. Consecrate it, Lord, to thee. Amen.